0: welcome again to my little lighthouse, my little island, my little place, temporary though it may be, and stuck though I am even still, it's alright, I'm still watching carefully the mist out there on the lake, because that thing is still watching me the great monster that I cannot fully see, but I can sense completely. It's hatred. It's fear. It's resentment. It wants something from me. And I admit that I am frightened. It is a huge and insurmountable thing, a foe that has fixed its gaze on me, Have you ever felt a fear like that? A foe such as this can be anything, really, I suppose, that instills a terrible fear in you, and a sort of hopelessness, the kind of hopelessness that makes you feel smaller than a grain of sand. I am looking at a thing that makes me feel like that now. What can I do? What can I, alone and with not very much here with me, do against a foe such as this? I ask the question to my tarot cards. I shuffle them, asking, pleading. What should I do with this great monster in the mist? What can I do? How can I fight it? Am I meant to fight it? What should I do? What do I do? I kept my gaze in the mist as I cut the deck and drew a card. It was the Nine of Pentacles, and it was reversed. I have been afraid of scarcity and nothingness and emptiness, of course. So to see pentacles, the suit for the material for the earthly, for abundance, is apt. To see it reversed, also apt. Reversed, this card means that one might be working very hard to very little result. It means that one's sense of worth, self-esteem, and value are at a low. It is unstable ground. Unsteady territory. Lack of strong footing underneath oneself. This is what it feels like, anyway. Because the card is asking us, perhaps, instead of bemoaning the scarcity in our lives, to rather examine what it is that imbues our life with value in the first place. Interesting. I'm not certain I understand. If I am feeling stuck, threatened, unable to move forward or gain momentum in the way I feel I ought to, then what does this card mean? Perhaps that the way forward is in redefining success. Perhaps that the conquering of one's insurmountable foe can come from standing firm in what you know you're worth. Perhaps... I have a story, then, that I think will suit this card well. Of course I do. For you know me, and you know the way I work. I create each story brand new. But since time doesn't exist, then I have already written this story in the future to match this card. And now I will tell it to you. Best not to overthink anything related to time. Better to just enjoy right now. Here it is. Once upon a time, there was a woman who worked in a tavern. It had been her father's place, a tavern he'd loved and tended and worked for from his youth until his old age, and he left it to his only daughter. It was the only thing he had to give in the way of an inheritance. And she gladly took it, for regardless of whether or not customers came or whether they went, she had a roof over her head and a fire to warm herself by. And so she gratefully took over the charge after his death. She had dreams, but she also had her little corner of the world, and she was content with these two things, separate, yet together waking life and sleeping life. She received enough joy and satisfaction from caring for each hungry and tired guest who passed through her doors. She felt reward, warm and glowing in her heart, when she made someone smile after a long day of difficult travel. And if no one came, she felt peace and calm in caring for herself and her beloved inn Her inn that kept her safe and warm and rested and fed. Until the enemy came and kicked her door down. A dark evil force swept over the land. Call it war. Call it evil. Call it what you will. But the country was under siege by an enemy most hateful and violent and hungry hearted. The enemy wanted more and more, more and more, and they would burn what wasn't given to them. So, when they stumbled on her inn, lonesome and vulnerable, on a hot summer's night, they demanded ale, they demanded food, they demanded beds, they kicked chairs and tables over in their violent mirth, They shattered plates and glasses against the walls. They hassled our solitary innkeeper, called her terrible names, treated her worse than they would a tired fox they might have hunted for sport. Her father's tavern, a place that usually was one of safety and comfort and nostalgia for her, felt suddenly like a place she'd never known at all. It's strange just how quickly the illusion of home can be shattered. Let us quickly shift to another character here. Do not fear for our tavern keeper. She is struggling now. But I won't let anything terrible happen to her while we quickly visit someone else. A man. Wandering. A smile on his lips and a song in his throat. A small handheld harp slung across his back. He had been walking for days and nights, but you would never know it to look at him. So light was his step, so confident was his gait, so pleasant was the tune he carried. He walked past burning farmland and raised an eyebrow at it. He walked past a bloodied cobblestone street and clicked his tongue at it. And when he heard the laughing of the enemy marauders from within the tavern and saw their silhouettes along with the distressed one of the innkeeper trying her best to appease her ungrateful guests turned hosts, he paused and grinned to no one, and walked towards the place. The soldiers were taking their pick of the finest meats and cheeses and wines, robbing the innkeeper of her stock in front of her eyes and demanding she be lighthearted about it, demanding she smile, demanding she stoke the fire, and finally, demanding she sing She refused as politely as one afraid as she could. She did not know any songs they might enjoy. She did not know how to sing. She didn't even enjoy singing. And at that little bit of opposition, the enemy soldiers suddenly grew even colder, even more cruel, closing in on her. And that is when the doors to the tavern opened, and the man with the harp entered. He was quite a sight compared to the group before him. The soldiers wore bloodied and muddied brown leather and were unkempt from their gleefully destructive day. And the woman wore a simple gray frock, faded, nice enough, but it was now torn and marred from her interaction with these cruel hellions. Like her beloved tavern, Her hair was similarly disheveled, and her skin and dress were stained, just like the walls, from rejected food and drink and soot. And yet despite all this, she was still lovely, because a good life with good thoughts and good intentions will do that to a person, regardless of what they've gone through. But our traveling musician, as I said, stood out against this picture. He had a black, wide-brimmed hat, decorated with one large, bright orange feather. It hung over his face, covering his eyes with shadow. And yet from his smile alone, one could tell that he was handsome, and that he took great pride in that. He wore a black shirt and trousers of some silky material that seemed very fine indeed tied up with shining black ribbons. His boots were very long and very fine and shining, too, and perfectly clean. Good evening, he said, touching his hat. I would love a drink. Silence fell over the bar. The woman looked at the musician with large, frightened eyes, asking for help and warning him to save himself all at once. The soldiers looked at one another, and then at the man, and then they burst out laughing. Who do you think you are, Dandy? Where do you think you've found yourself? This place is ours now, one of them exclaimed, marching to the man and keeping a hand on the hilt of his sword but that couldn't wipe the smile from the traveler's shadow-veiled face. If it is your tavern, then should I be asking you for the drink, then? He asked, not sarcastically. The soldier was first angry, but then again amused at the audacity of the statement. He laughed and clapped a hand on the man in black's shoulder. Fiery this one is. He must not be from around here. He mocked and lauded at the same time. And when he looked more carefully, he saw the harp. Ah, we'll have a song after all, then. We have a balladeer here, nay, a troubadour. He led the singer to the fire, pushed him before it as though it were a stage, and then found a chair to sit on and kicked his feet up on the table. The other soldiers followed suit, not before shoving the innkeeper off to the kitchen to fetch them more ale for the performance. "'Play us a song,' the ringleader demanded. "'Certainly, sirs,' the singer said with a flourish and a bow. He stood upright. "'As soon as you pay me three copper coins for it.' A different kind of silence followed by a different kind of laughter. I'm afraid you don't understand your situation, the ringleader said, his tone a little less jovial and a little darker now. The musician's smile did not wane. Three copper coins for a song. Four if you have a request. The enemy soldiers came upon him like a pack of hyenas. They stole his lovely hat, but his hair was an even lovelier black underneath it. They tore his lovely shirt, but his frame and his skin were even lovelier underneath it. They spilled ale on his boots. They took his harp and played catch with it. They spat on him and mocked him and robbed him. And yet he still stood tall, and he still smiled, and he was still lovely. Meanwhile, the innkeeper, horrified for him, wanted to tell him, Give them what they ask for. There is no fighting such mocking hunger, such awful hatred. Save yourself. But he didn't seem to look at her. He did not seem worried in the least. There, the ringleader said, taking his seat again. How much for a song now, eh? A silence again. A dreadful one. A playful smile from the musician, as he said only two words. Five now. The enemies immediately stood. The innkeeper's eyes streamed forth frightened tears. Done for. The fool is done for, she thought to herself. But why is he not afraid? Dirty, bruised, with everything he had taken from him. No money, no harp, no hat. It seemed quite mad of him not to acquiesce. But you see, He had something that they wanted, and he knew how much it was worth. And he did not falter, even when, at a mere gesture of the ringleader, one of the soldiers stood and raised a sword to his throat. No one laughed now, but the musician was the only one who still smiled. Play a song for us, troubadour. The ringleader said, pointing a finger and causing the other soldier to apply just enough pressure to let loose a drop of blood. Blood that was so dark, it seemed almost black. This is the last time I'll ask. Play a song! The innkeeper couldn't help but cry out. And the musician finally looked at her. Whether it was the sword at his throat or the request of a lovely lady, something finally made his smile fade. Something made his eyes fill with just a little concern as he saw the anguish in hers. He nodded. Very well, he said to her. Not to the others. This was not for them, though they would get the pleasure of hearing it anyway. They carelessly threw his harp at him, and it landed at his feet, a piece of it chipping away. No matter. He picked it up and raised it to his chest, cradling it like a baby. And he played. It was gorgeous. It was terrible. Full of tears at first. Then full of blood. And the enemy soldiers, the insurmountable foe that our tavern keeper felt so small and so worthless against. They were all transfixed their eyes unable to move from the musician's skillful hands, plucking deliberately and hypnotically at the strings of the instrument. It was like memory for them, but a memory they couldn't place, because they were not there. But our tavern keeper knew the memory well, just as the musician did too. The memory of having everything you've worked hard for taken from you. The memory of having the flame of a passion you've tenderly stoked for years, snuffed out so carelessly. The memory of crossing paths with an undefeatable foe. The enemy felt the pain of these memories as if they'd shared them too, and it was breathtakingly sad and that sadness hypnotized them to the point that they did not notice something very important happening all around them you see the musician was weaving his song in and out joyful and tragic tears and blood And while he meant every single note, he was also using the song as something of a distraction. For you see, the fire was dying, and the sun had set, and the tavern was so dark now, so dark, that even if they were paying attention, the soldiers might not have noticed them coiling like very thin tentacles, tendrils in the shadows, from his makeshift stage in front of the fire, underneath the chairs and tables, wrapping themselves gracefully around the soldier's ankles, legs, wrists, arms, necks. Just gently for now, not even able to be noticed or felt, the strangely supple strings, the gut strings, as they are aptly called, for they seem to be coming right from within him, connected, somehow, to the deepest part of his beastly heart. And the musician raised his gaze For the first time showing his eyes, his true eyes, bright orange and stark in the shadow, brighter than the embers in the fire. He looked at them all, one by one, and they now suddenly were aware that he had each and every one of them in his grip now, in the grip of these horrific strings, which were still loose as a caress at the moment. But the spell was breaking just in time, as his eyes burned larger and brighter than ever before, and he smiled a huge smile, with teeth suddenly long and thin as needles. And they realized their grave error in that moment in disrespecting his song devaluing the innkeeper's livelihood, blaspheming against his harp, which now they could see was tied up in their strings. And each time he plucked any of them with his fingers, the tendrils tightened and tightened around the enemy soldiers. And the musician said one word, Sing. And each, one at a time, opened their mouth to scream. But instead of a scream, there came a long, pure, sustained sound, a musical note. Each soldier only got one. And when they screamed all together, they made the strangest kind of music. It echoed out of the tavern, through the streets, down the road. Monstrous and beautiful in a way, too. They kept trying, but it was the same sound each time. Perhaps they would be found by one of their own. Perhaps more soldiers would hear the singing coming from the tavern and go in to either stop it, or mock it, or extinguish it. And then, perhaps the soldiers tied up to the chairs would be saved. That was all very likely, I assure you, for I despise violence. But... The only sound that would ever come from their mouths, from that day forward, would be that one note, pure, sustained, and sad, like a memory of something tragic that one could never quite recall. Some spirits roam the earth because they have unfinished business in their own life that must be settled. Some spirits dwell halfway between earth and halfway between somewhere else. And some spirits, some strange and powerful and frightful spirits, come from a different place, and they like to work a little mischief. Tilt the scales of justice in one direction or another. Seek out good or bad deeds for or against hapless humans. Our musician mostly liked to entertain people, and that was it. But even strange and powerful and frightful spirits need to eat. And this one knew the power of his song, So he was certain of his worth, no matter what they said, no matter what they did, no matter how they hurt him, or no matter what they took from him. The song was for her. The song he played. The song he sang. The song he made them sing along to. A song of remembering that you do not owe your passion, your dedication, your industry to anyone who does not respect its worth. The cacophonous sound of voices only singing one note each at the same time grew and grew. And the beast with the strings attached to his harp Tightened his grip around the instrument And plucked harder And the gut strings tying them to the chairs Tightened and tightened And the sound grew louder Until finally the innkeeper shouted for it all to stop And it did The fire returned to normal and the room was bright again There were no strings No bindings, no more singing. The musician was a gentleman once again, with a handsome human smile. But the soldiers scrambled to their feet, weeping and grateful that their voices were their own again. The ringleader, desperate and sniveling now, took a coin purse from his pocket and dashed it to the ground and nine coins fell out. and They all ran screaming and crying from the tavern. The musician glanced at the money, then at the woman. He bowed slowly to her, and turned to leave. The song was for her. It was a gift. So the money was all hers, too. She knew she should leave. The tavern was worth nothing in a land where enemies had taken over and wanted to see her crumble. How could she remember her worth, her value, her passion, in a place where everyone was actively trying to destroy those things? Well, not everyone. Wait, she said after she scooped the coins up in her hand. It would help to repair some of the damage, certainly, though she suspected that she now lived in a time and place where it would never really be enough. And if it would never be enough, then what would be the harm in sharing? She extended her hand, four of the coins in its palm, out towards the stranger, The dashing and horrific creature who came to her aid when she was most alone. Her guard down and her eyes hopeful, she said, Are are you looking for work? I heard him play once in the tavern. The tavern that had withstood many ordeals, many battles, crises of all kinds. Yet still it stood tall and strong, unabandoned, unabashed in its strength and worth, like the two within it. I heard him playing from outside, playing only for her, humming and strumming a little tune while she cleaned up. She had found home in her house again, and it was good to see it. So good that I thought I'd enter. As soon as I did, though, orange eyes flashed up at me from under a beautiful black hat. And the innkeeper watched me carefully, too. Wisely wary of travelers they were, and yet generous to a fault when they realized I had plenty to share. Even if it was berries and fruit and flowers. And stories. Strange, I almost felt like I was there just now, but I am still on my island, in my little ramshackle lighthouse. But now, as I see the horrible beast in the mist, the huge thing that I know is watching me, I know it's all right. I don't need to defeat it tonight. I don't even need to be unafraid. But I must remember what I am worth. I will not minimize myself just because it wants me to. It is just a small step, but a step nonetheless. And even though it is a small step, I will not make myself small for anyone. And I will not allow anyone Horrible beast or otherwise. To make me feel small either. And you. You too will be fine. Even if you are struggling with an insurmountable foe. It does not mean you are not worthwhile. And because you are worthwhile. It follows that you deserve to sleep. Well, good night, my friends. And thank you, my friends, for joining me for episode 159 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, the writer, the podcaster, composer, performer, etc., 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 Kristen Zaza. How are you this week? Welcome to September. If you're hearing this on the day it's released, September 1st, then I will share with you that it is my birthday. I actually find it really exciting to be releasing an episode on my birthday. How old do you think I am? Tweet me your best guess. I'm just kidding, I'm 32. There's no such thing as time. Please don't tweet me how old you think I am. (laughs) Sending a big thank you today to my Patreon supporters who support the show through their monthly pledges at patreon.com. Thank you so much, my friends. Patrons of any amount $1 or more receive access to my ever-updated soundtrack of the show, while supporters at the $5 or more tier receive, in addition to the soundtrack, access to a monthly full moon tarot reading video. If either of those perks sound interesting to you, please feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more. If you'd prefer to donate one time only and without the soundtrack or tarot reading perks, you can do so by buying one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And we also have t-shirts and hoodies for the show, available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dash-dark-cold-night. I would also like to take a minute to thank someone who left a five-star review for us on iTunes. Huge thank you going out to Hammer Girl in Canada for your extremely kind words and thoughtful review. It means the world to me. Thank you so much, Hammer Girl. I would love it if you too left me a rating and a review on iTunes, if you enjoy what I do here. I'd really appreciate it. You can also spread the word via social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and on my Facebook and YouTube pages just called on a dark cold night. Finally, I want to share some lovely news I received last week. The Canadian podcast awards happened and I was so honored to win two awards this year. Outstanding main title theme music and outstanding original music and lyrics. Music has always been such a big part of my life, so this really meant a lot to me. Thank you all for your support and for listening. I'm very, very honored. On that note, I'll say goodnight, my friends. Thank you for spending time listening to this episode and spending time with me on my birthday. I know it's a little silly, but this year has taught me to celebrate a lot of things that I might have thought were silly in the past, too. And I'm grateful for my birthday this year. Thank you for joining me tonight. I hope you have pleasant dreams and a lovely start to September. Take care, my friends.